Well, good evening, church. Welcome back to our Sunday night, our teaching time on repentance. Wanting to is good. Knowing how is better. I want to talk to you tonight about obstacles, obstacles to repentance in religious people. Because I think when you look at Luke's account and Matthew's account, they, they single out a particular group of people who have a very hard time with the kind of repentance the coming of Jesus requires. So obstacles to repentance in religious people. Uh, get a Bible. We're in Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 9 for right now. Luke 3, 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is John the Baptist. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Isaiah predicted John's coming, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, and every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. When, when Jesus comes, it's for the world. It's for all flesh. It's not one religion here and another religion on another continent. No, Jesus is for the world. Verse 7. He, John the Baptist, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit. Okay, so bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 8, and now Every tree that does not bear good fruit, verse 9, is cut down and, and thrown into the fire. Last week, quick review, we saw that the core issue of repentance isn't primarily an emotional issue. There would be an emotional element, the feeling of guilt. That's a good healing feeling as long as it leads to repentance. So emotion should be involved. People, especially godly people, they should feel remorse for any moment of disobedience and neglect, but the essence of repentance isn't captured in the emotions. Repentance, metanoia, meta, after, noeo, what you, when you perceive, when you come to understand with the mind. So repentance is what you do after you hear and perceive what God is saying to your heart. And then the key point, again, from last week's teaching is that this process, this process of hearing, hearing God speak and the changes you make after you understand, that's not limited, that kind of repentance, just to getting saved. Repentance is part of the ongoing walk of discipleship. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me, Jesus said. So this is the ongoing relationship. What you're seeing there is the ongoing relationship between repentance and discipleship. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. First we hear, then we follow. That's the essence of repentance. 
This is Jesus' way of saying that while discipleship certainly includes the need for doctrinal correctness, who do you say that I am? You have to get that right. So there's a doctrinal component to discipleship, but it can never be, discipleship can never be limited to doctrinal correctness. Disciples, like sheep, need to do more than just know who the shepherd is. Sheep need to follow the shepherd. Disciples need to follow their Lord when he speaks. There's no keeping up with Jesus without following when he speaks. So, in our last teaching, we looked at the kind of changes repentant people must make and keep on making if they're going to follow their Lord. That was in verses 10 through 14. So, so the crowds asked him then, what shall we do? There's repentance. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. We talked about that last week. You can get that online. Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And he said, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. So there's, there's the kind of changes that they have to make. Now today, we're focusing our attention primarily on John's words, but in verses 7, 8, and 9. Because this is where he said, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came to be baptized, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I'm going to talk about that. God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Nine, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These are such searching words, hard words. And what we're going to do, I think there are three thoughts here. We're going to do one tonight, and we'll do two next Sunday night. Before I look at the one point, Matthew gives a little bit of additional detail to this same account. And it's really important. It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Same account, but with this added little explanation. Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism at that time. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So Luke tells us John said these words as the crowd gathered around him. Matthew just zooms in a little bit tighter and tells us it was at a particular point, not just the crowds in general, but when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew 3, 7. It's when these religious leaders came to John, that's when John said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It's, it's when he saw these religious leaders that these stern words come from John's mouth. And, and it's, it's, it's this change in tone that we need to study because what would cause John, right at that point, to launch into these pungent words. 
a surface reading might just give the impression that, you know, maybe John was tired, he was angry. It's the kind of guy he was, shouting, screaming out in the wilderness. But I think that misses the main point. This isn't just anger that John is displaying. There's, there's this passion. These are the words, these are the words of a man who, at the approach of the religious leaders, okay, at the approach of the religious leaders, John is immediately sensitive to what's going to be an ongoing threat to genuine repentance. And it's because the Pharisees and the Sadducees demonstrated an unreachable kind of heart that John's words just seem to boil up. That they're, they're the Holy Spirit summons to religious people not to allow the kind of obstacles to arise in our heart that, that choked life, repentant life, out of the scribes and Pharisees, not to make the same mistake. So I see two lines of thought to take note of here. First, John confronts a particular form of kingdom evasion. And second, he points out the kind of repentance he was looking for to prepare the pathway for the king in their hearts. And it's that first point that we're going to study tonight. So point number one. I hope you see the way I'm wording this. The pathway of the serpent. And I chose that word carefully, you brood of vipers. The pathway of the serpent is seen in the way these religious people evaded repentance in the very act of coming to John for baptism. So you see it in, in the last part of verse 7. You, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So lots of people, the text says, lots of people came to John for his baptism of repentance. That's, that's what John's baptism is actually called in the Gospels, a baptism of repentance. When people came, John baptized them. They repented. There, there, were, there were thieves. Remember the crooked tax collectors? There were violent people. There were immoral soldiers. Probably people caught in adultery. Wicked, profane people of all sorts. They came to John. They repented. John baptized them. It's an amazing account. And then, suddenly, everything changes. It's when the scribes and the Pharisees come. The crowd gets quiet. The waters that were all ripply from baptism, they just grow, they just grow still. The crowd wonders what's going on. And then John, according to Matthew, looks directly. This must have been quite a moment. In front of the crowd, John looks at the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, What in the world are you guys doing here? You brood of vipers. So, so that's that's what John is asking these religious leaders. I can understand these sinners coming to repent. They know their need. They feel their guilt. But you, why are you guys here? And, it, and it's right at this point that the, you know, the cutting edge of this passage, it just kind of pokes through. I mean, the rest of the people came because they wanted to repent. They felt the weight of their sin, terrible sins. They wanted to repent, and they wanted John to baptize them, and he did. 
But there's something else at work in the minds of these religious experts. The sinners came in order to repent. These religious leaders came to John to look spiritual while avoiding deep repentance. So they came proud to be involved in another display of religious devotion. And that's why John calls them, I think, I think that's why John calls them a generation, a generation of vipers. Remember, Jesus looked and said, you're of your father, your father, the devil. He said that. John says, you're a, a generation of vipers. I know, I know sometimes people can press biblical images too far, but I'm not at all sure that we aren't meant to see some kind of a clever linkage here, the particular work of the enemy like their father, the devil, who was religious initially, involved in worship with a crooked heart, these religious leaders were following in his steps. You can see them. They come down to the water. Good preaching, John. Let's all get baptized in the Jordan together. We certainly want to lead the way. Praise God. Let's go down and get baptized. John, is that really what you think? Do you really think that's all I'm talking about? Is that... Is that the kind of ongoing realignment you think God is looking for? A little water, a little devotion, the applause of the crowd? Do you think that's going to bring about the kind of transformation of heart? I mean, look at the whole passage. The rest of the crowd came to John, conscious of their sin. They asked John what they had to do. It's in 310. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And John would tell them. Notice, notice, scribes and the Pharisees, they don't even ask that kind of question. They have, they have separated the religious act of baptism from the heart-searching repentance that the rest of the crowd was engaged in. The Pharisees, they weren't interested in that. I hope you see the point here. I hope you can begin to grasp the reason for John's, John's impassioned standoff with those words. He, he's confronting that work of the devil in religious people. People like you, people like me, how prone we can all become to thinking our devotion to God is being fulfilled in our religious observances. I go to church. I tithe. I sing the song. I even close my eyes and raise my hands. But repentance is, while it might be initiated in a place like this sanctuary, it's never completed in a place like this. So the Holy Spirit presses all of us. Last week, what I called it was Monday repentance. It's, it's what we do with what we learn. Repentance isn't a religious act. It's an ongoing lifestyle. And because that's the case, many times outwardly religious people can actually avoid deep ongoing repentance just by hiding in their religion. You can see this from the very next words John says, chapter 3, verse 8, bear fruits. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And I like this. Don't even begin to say to yourselves, 
not said out loud. Don't even, don't even think. Don't even begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So, so notice, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance isn't a word. You have to have fruits that follow it. So it's very easy for religious people who sing and read and talk about repentance to think that that's what repentance is. It's very easy to isolate the fruit of repentance from the concept of repentance. And that's, that's just a road to spiritual ruin, and that's why John strikes out at it so abruptly. Look at those words in verse 8. Do not even begin to say to yourselves. Rationalizing. The process of rationalizing my, my tendency to rationalize myself out of repentance when the Holy Spirit speaks. It's two things. It's inward and it's instantaneous. So the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He speaks to me about something in my life that I should have outgrown by now. I should have moved past, and I haven't. And the Holy Spirit speaks about repentance. And the first thing Don Horbin is likely to try to do is rationalize why I don't need to repent right at this minute. And that kind of rationalization, you don't hear it. It's inward. Don't begin to say to yourselves. It's inward, and it's instantaneous. Don't even begin. So the way religious people can rationalize out of repentance is inward and instantaneous. And because repentance has to begin inwardly, no one else will never know whether I'm obedient to the Holy Spirit or not. And if I'm not obedient at the beginning of the Spirit's prompting, do not begin to say to yourself, if I don't repent right away, I'm not likely to become more responsive the longer I resist the Holy Spirit's voice. Boy, those are crucial lessons about repentance. We just never, ever uh, grow past hearing those things. We don't have to learn to resist inward repentance. We just don't. We don't have to practice turning away from repentance. It's our natural fallen response. It's our default response. And it comes from generation of vipers. It comes from the influence of the serpent in all of us. I'm not going to change until my husband changes. I can't deal with this right now. I'll get serious about it later on. So-and-so does the same thing I'm doing. God doesn't seem to be bothering him about it. Times have changed. Values have changed. We're not as legalistic as we used to be. Listen, listen. Those excuses, those inward thought patterns, they don't come automatically with such ease and clarity. Paul tells us where they come from. John told these people they were a generation of vipers. They were, they were listening to their father. His DNA was at work in their dodging of repentance. And, and, and Paul, I'm wrapping up with this. Paul deals with this very issue in the church. Churches like Cedarview. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, that's this, this body, we are not waging war according to the flesh. There's a different problem. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then he's going to explain what he means. Verse 5. We destroy arguments. I don't, I, don't, I don't have to do this. I don't need to do this right now. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do with that devilish inward argument? He wants to destroy it. We destroy arguments. Every lofty opinion railed against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. That's the essence of how repentance grows in effectiveness in my heart. Everything hinges on what you see happening when those kind of arguments against immediate repentance, they come from religious people. Everything hinges on how you deal with those arguments against ongoing repentance. When they just begin to form themselves in your mind, John says, don't even begin to allow that serpent-like mindset to set into your soul. We'll look at two more thoughts next Sunday night, but boy, there's enough for all of us. It's challenging, but this isn't, it's not negative. It's life-giving. If we, if we just learn never to use any kind of outward religious observation to cancel out the need to never argue with the Holy Spirit, never justify, never excuse. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. God help us to do it more and more, more repentance each day as we learn to walk in God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, our minds don't naturally embrace truth about repentance. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that increasingly you'll just increase the territory of, in our minds, in our hearts. We want to forever cast down every argument that forms in our own hearts against a repentant response when your Holy Spirit speaks. We want to walk in the light. And so bless the truth of your word. We don't want to hear it with condemnation. We want to hear it with spiritual life, engaging our hearts where they are with kingdom truth that will bear fruit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the church. Stay in the word. Keep a repentant heart and love one another.